0: hi everyone welcome back to talking sense with karen and hayley um before we make a start today i just wanted to give you a little bit of news just to warn you <laughs> um because last week i got a new puppy who is just running around my feet at the moment so um, if we get rudely interrupted by a little yap you will know what it is she's only 12 weeks old and she's a shih tzu cross um, but she's you can imagine what it's like, there's poo and wee everywhere, and there's lots of, <laughs> lots of attention being needed to be given, and this is the first time I've actually recorded a video with her in the room, so let's see how it goes. Me and Karen are crossing my fingers, aren't we, Karen? We are, indeed. So the topic today, we're going to discuss just the fragrance industry as a whole, Um, and give you an idea of actually how big it is because I think when people um, talk about fragrance industry um, and I say I work in the fragrance industry everyone automatically goes to find fragrance Um, and then they get very surprised when they hear that I work in different areas Um, and the same with Karen as well I know Karen doesn't just do personal uh, fragrances and she's worked in in different areas as well Um, but when you think about fragrance think about how it started so if we go all the way back i don't know how many years i'm not very good with my timelines and historical timelines but it's the egyptian period Um, and that's what we we call the egyptians as the the first perfumers um, because they are the ones that really started to use um, natural materials in their environment to create scents and they would use them for, for multiple different things, so for health benefits, for making offerings to gods, um, etc. And that's where the fragrance industry started there was trade routes based on where these essential oils were coming from um and they would make small little batches of these fragrances and they would trade them to other parts of the world um and karen knows a lot more about the the processing of this uh these kind of materials with her essential oil background don't you, karen yeah.
1: yeah yeah i've got um <clears throat> that that sort of history of, of how perfume Came about really um, down pat because it's it's really it's my bag. I, I find it all really interesting. You know, I've I've been um, working my way through um, a really oh look, there's the puppy.
0: Yeah, I knew um, she would appear at some
1: point. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working my way through a book called um, The Silk Road, um, and it's it's really all about how um, perfume and silk uh, opened up the world to trade. Um, selling those um, fragrant resins to to for various religious practices was a was a major part of it at, at that time um, you can still to this day smell frankincense in churches mm, um I, love frankincense. I, can't, I can't speak for other religions um if they burn anything in 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 their churches but it is widely used across religion and the word perfume actually comes from um that that practice of um burning resins in church um because it actually um the word is perfumum which means um to create smoke basically and um that's what they do so it's like a purifying process and um history shows that um the the first evidence that for, um, humans were using scented herbs for um sorts of perfuming it goes right back to uh, 3,000 years BC There's actually um, cave drawings in France that show and um, that depict um, herbs oh, wow. So that so it's been a practice that, that we as humans have used for years normally to, um, to you know originally to disguise bad odours um, as much as to create pleasant smells or, or probably more so um, I've been reading um, a series of books um, recently called uh, Discovery of Witches which has been made into a TV series and I think it's brilliant but in there um, there's one of the books um, the second book talks about when, when these characters step back in history and it talks and it shows that um, floors were routinely strewn with herbs or hay um, both to keep floors clean um to um and, and to deodorize because we didn't have the sort of hygiene that we have nowadays. That's um a so, so it's been um and distillation equipment didn't come into um play until um I think it was about AD. Uh no oh, oh sorry I'm, I do know this <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, the guy who invented it, who perfected the technique, is, is called Ibn Sina. Um, sometimes known as Avicenna in, in um, fragrant textbooks. Um, he was the one who um, perfected distillation because prior to that, the Egyptians either burned herbs directly or they fragranced um, wool from sheep and then squeezed mm-hmm. it out so um, they would create um, balms. Um mainly from lanolin so it's really you know interesting how it all happened but the real explosion didn't happen until um we were talking before we turned on the camera and Haley can take over at this point it, to the 19th century when um chemistry started to get involved
0: yeah yeah exactly so in the 19th century where basically the the, the chemical industry started to become extremely popular and that is when the fragrance industry absolutely exploded. Because if you think about it, this is when synthetic chemicals came in. So prior to that, um, pretty much any fragrance that people were using on their bodies was mainly essential oils. So things from the earth, um, you get the resins, the the florals, the citruses, things like that. Um, But then when science came into play, we were then able to synthesize our own chemicals. So along came the chemists and they wanted to replicate a particular smell in nature that they couldn't extract because there's plenty of things in, the, in nature that we can't extract or we can extract, but it doesn't smell quite right. Um, and it's got a lot of impurities, for example. <clears throat> so the chemists started to synthesize a vast amount of um, of order uh, chemical materials, um, order materials. Um, And that absolutely exploded the industry because you were then able to have a palette that instead of being um, quite fairly reasonable, fairly small to something that was thousands and thousands of raw materials to your disposal. Um, And then of course, with the industry um, expanding as a whole, then you had larger distribution centers, you you were able to create things at larger volumes. Um, and that really that probably you would be looking at like the 40s or 50s or 60s that's when things started to really blow up and that's also when you started to see fragrances appear in other products much more commonly than just fine fragrance just personal um, materials Um, and a lot of the fragrance houses started a lot earlier than the chemical, um, the chemical revolution, we'll call it, um, and there were small fragrance houses. Uh, a lot of them based in the south of France is a very popular area. Um, there's a location called Grasse, which um, I don't think it's as busy in the fragrance industry as it once was, but um, they were very much in the in the industry of taking um, naturals and creating essential oils and uh, trading those out and then more and more little fragrance houses started to appear. So typically you started off with very individual, unique, um, what you would probably call uh, artisanal fragrance houses that they specialized in their own uh, certain um, materials. So for example, a particular house may just do lavender oil uh, because they're right next to a lavender field or um, citrus oils, things like that. But then as the industry got bigger, they saw the, um, the choice and the availability of these things becoming um, much more um, in demand. These little fragrance houses started to get bigger. So you started to get these bigger organisations. And when you look at the industry now, I mean, you've got a lot of big fragrance houses and I, I kind of describe a fragrance house in a similar way to a fashion house, because I think people tend to get it a bit more because fashion's a bit more ingrained in the society um, from an understanding point of view. Um, so a fragrance house is essentially a company that you would approach um to get fragrance materials from or finished fragrances. Um, and you've got a lot out there. I mean, before I entered the industry, I just kind of thought that fragrance was. I think i mentioned this on the first video that it was just really small i just didn't get it i didn't understand there was a whole industry beside like behind it i just thought people would maybe just go out to a shop and buy a fragrance and then put it onto that product um but i mean there's some huge ones out there the biggest one at the moment is Givardin, um, which is it's an amazing house i've worked with them for many years um, but they they probably I think they've got a roundabout, if I'm recalling correctly, about twenty to twenty five percent of the market share for fragrances. So that is absolutely huge when you think of it. Because it's a billion dollar industry. And it's not just as we mentioned, fine fragrance. Sorry, my dogs are having a fight next to me, so I'm trying. <laughs> um it's it's not just the fine fragrances were mentioned, and I think it, it's it's uh I remember reading something about um, fine fragrance on its own is worth like a hundred billion dollars but then when you think of all the extra pieces added onto that so you've got like laundry and home care and everything like that added on top of it, it's a billion dollar business and the fact that Giverdan have got 25, 20 to 25% somewhere around that of that business, it's absolutely massive you've also got um, houses such as Furnish IFF um, Man, Simrise, arome, Takasago, these are all houses that I've worked with um, and they've, um, I, I love them all, I think they're all fantastic and typically they've got two different areas to them um, from a, um, a finished product standpoint. So you'll have your fragrance portion of it, you'll also have your flavour portion um, We'll ignore the flavor portion for now because we're not talking about flavors, but <laughs> we've, they've got a huge fragrance organization, and within that fragrance organization, they'll have finished uh, fragrances, which is what they um, sell to other companies, so sell to manufacturers. Then they also have they also have ingredients um so they'll be selling things such as um dihydromersinol hedione orange essential oil things like that That they will also sell to other companies to make finished products um and they're absolutely huge Um, i mean some of them uh in particular when i'm thinking of they've got they've got R&D sites, they've got marketing, they've got regulatory, they've got sales teams, they've got so many groups within that one organisation. Um, and even givendan has their own perfumery school. Um, so you've probably heard the whole, um, there's less uh, astronauts, no, sorry, less perfumers in the world than there is astronauts. I don't know whether that's still true or not, but I think probably it is. We're not, uh, they're not a few and far between, but now you've got the rise of the independent perfumer, such as, as Karen, as yourself. Um, but being, it, being training to become a perfumer can take many, many years. And Jouvardin is one of the only fragrance houses who have their own perfumery school. And it's a very prestigious school. You can join there. But it, it, I think, if I remember rightly, again, I think you only, the only intake about two or three people a year uh, to be trained in the perfumery school so it's very very select it's probably harder to get into the perfumery school than it is to get on a nasa training program in that respect <laughs> yeah. um but yeah so you've got these big big massive organizations but over the past few years um you've had a much higher rise in um small artisanal and independent um perfumers because when you think about uh, fragrance as a whole you've not only got these um big perfume houses you've also got um brands and designers so things like uh, mark jacobs um tom ford um dng things like that that they've got their own um fragrance houses not all of them might go to a um uh, a separate fragrance house some of them have their own internal perfumers but then also people like yourself Karen as well um yeah. I mean you how did you train again you had you went to an independent uh lady training for, for for you didn't you
1: yeah I went to um I started off as a an aromatherapist so I went to a private school um that was run by the daughter of um, the lady who, who writes most of the aromatherapy textbooks that serve um, complementary therapists around the world now. And um, that was really enjoyable. That was about 14 years ago. So I was practising as an aromatherapist for um, just over 11 years when I had the opportunity to go on a perfume course, again, with an independent school. It was, an intense, it was called an intensive professional uh, professional intensive perfumery course and um it only it lasted for three weeks but that even that was divided into two so there was a foundation week that you had to do to be able to go on to the um the next two weeks and um it, it really was intensive and the the i think the biggest difference for for um between that and the likes of jordan um is is time It mm. so much practical application of using perfume ingredients was piled into my course whereas in um, formal perfumery training i think you could spend up to a year doing nothing but learning to identify fragrances by smell not by label Mm,
0: yeah yeah
1: um but you know I suppose it depends what you want because a lot of fragrance houses actually keep their perfumers in the dark about the ingredients they're using so they'll have codes on the label so the formula is written using a code rather than the name of the ingredients so yeah. that the perfumers can't steal them
0: which yeah. is it, it's very true because I mean I, I um when I worked for P&G because P&G is one of the well it is the only manufacturer who has their own internal perfumery capability. So you'll have internal perfume experts at some of the manufacturers, but P&G are the only ones that have got their own internal perfumers. Um, so I was lucky enough to get a lot of training by perfumers themselves. Um, and it's exactly like that. They'll do everything blind up, uh, up to a certain point. Um, so you will, um, you will assess raw materials blind, so they don't, you don't know what they're giving you. Um, and you've got a guess based off the olfactory profile what material it is and then they start to build it up so they'll add a few materials together make a an code and then you've got to break it down and say these materials are then in it and then they build it up to more complex fragrances and then after you start to just familiarize with themselves then they'll start letting you mix things so it's such a it's a lengthy really lengthy in-depth process where you've it's basically training your brain to recognize every piece within the formulation every building block Um, it's it's very it's it's very intensive but they do like you say do it over a much longer period of time and do like to keep things very blind and very um, if you're evaluating things like when I evaluated things for um, consumer tests or um, any quality checks or anything like that it would be blind Um, and as a trained evaluator we'll both know we can be we can be very um, we can put our personal feelings to one side and we can break it down and understand is it right or is it not. But even then, they would still take that sight away from you because it is yeah. the best way to evaluate: is to do things blind and not to have that sway of either the name of it or the context of um, the product or anything like that. I've got my other dog now joining in. <laughs> he's only a puppy too, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's just well. He was just one on Monday, weren't you, boy? Yeah. So my life is like a circus at the moment. You can imagine what my house is like. This bit looks quite neat and tidy. If you look to the other way, it's it's absolutely dire at the moment. But yeah, two kids, a husband, a cat, and two puppies. I've let myself in for it, haven't I, Karen? But <laughs> um, but yeah, so to sum up, it's an, uh, from the outside looking in. Um, you would probably think it's quite small and I'm putting myself back 15 years ago before I joined the industry I just thought there was probably one place that everyone would go and buy their their fragrances but it's not it's absolutely massive it's a billion dollar industry and you have um, massive corporate fragrance houses out there that will have different subsects and work with lots of different manufacturers to um to create their their perfumes down to the small independent perfumeries who create only for one particular brand and then even down to independent perfumers such as yourself karen who will only do things for um certain types of products or um certain um types of fragrances as well so there's some perfumers who will only do essential oils and they will not mix synthetic materials in there so you've got a huge raft of people that work in the fragrance industry and even though in the first video we said it is quite small it is compared to the other industries in the world it is quite small and everyone tends to know everyone Um, and you bump into people time and time again but when you look at the value of it and the impact of it um, it is absolutely massive um, and it's only grown because the artisanal and the niche trend that has been quite popular for many years now it's only grown when you look at the stats and how much um, not just in fine fragrance I'm talking about here but in in consumer products if you look at your shelf next time you go to the supermarket you will see as an example fabric softeners comfort and Lenor. You've got your normal Comfort and your normal Lenore, which are the blue ones that have been around for many years. But then you look and they've got the Perfume Deluxe collection. They've got um, all these different uh, formats coming out. And that's really showing you that the artisanal niche sector is huge. And yeah, it probably did start in the fine fragrance industry. Most things do in the fragrance world and it trickles its way down but sometimes you see trends dying out. This one's not, it's only getting bigger. Um, So I would expect that the industry as a whole is just gonna get bigger because there's so many more people um, coming out and creating their own new brands and their own new ways of perfumery that'll, that'll just, that'll add extra to the, to the palette of, um, of fragrance. And I think that's really exciting. I don't know about you, Karen, but I get really excited thinking about all the different things that can come from this because it's not just the big conglomerates and the big corporates that are leading this. A lot of the trends and a lot of the things that are twisting the way the industry is are coming from the smaller independent groups, which yeah. is really exciting
1: yeah i'm i'm with you there it's it's exciting seeing how the industry is changing because it did used to be you know a very very closed um secretive industry and those those um barriers are coming down um almost on a daily basis sometimes it feels like when you read some of the articles um i'm thinking you know um what we were saying before about how fragrance used to be made and how it's now made, you know, you used to have these tiny perfume houses and people would go to certain shops to buy their fragrance because that, that shop owner was the perfumer and he made his fragrances. But even then, you know, it wasn't the same from year to year because natural ingredients can be affected by, um, you know, the altitude that the crop was grown at the the weather that year, the soil that that they come from. So you could, you can have thyme from the bottom of a mountain that's grown in a relatively rich soil, and thyme from the top of this, the exact same plant genus grown at the top of the mountain with much purer sunlight and clearer air, and more and so more soil starved, and the smell will be will make them, you know completely different when you have when you have them side by side so um so many different factors can make a difference in in uh, natural perfumery Mm. and so that's like for me that's one of the nice things about this the standardization of fragrance as brought about by the chemical companies. But um, sometimes it's nice to have that variation. And um, I, I like to compare the, the variation in wines, in, in essential oils, to the variation that can happen in wines.
0: Because
1: yeah. uh, you know, it, it's, um, it's a movable feast because it's affected by nature. It's a natural product that's affected by nature. And that in itself is a nice thing. But again, it's a very niche market where customers need to be prepared to... Um, to tolerate those variances and to, and to learn to enjoy them rather than seeing them as, as faults. Um, so it's, it's nice that there's this um, so much different input now into the fragrance industry because at one time the, the chemicals almost wiped out the, the natural fragrance industry during the 70s, for example, when um, I think it was Coty rose to prominence. I'm not sure which big house owned them, but all the fragrances started to smell the same because there were these um, massive um, advances in in things that um, perfumery houses could make um, that were affordable. So all of a sudden, fragrance was not just limited to like elite luxury purchases that you could only get for your birthday and you'd have to ask somebody to start saving on on your current birthday in order to get it the next birthday (laughs) oh dear um, and uh, so it just you know fragrance has become so much more accessible and 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 as you say it's 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 in everything now it's um you know going back to the days um tudor times when herbs and hay were strewn on the floor to create a pleasant smell and mask unpleasant smells um you know, we, we're now doing a similar thing, but using chemicals to clean our houses and, and keep them sterile. And, and but we don't want them to smell like a hospital, so we need nice fragrances in them. Um, so it's it is fascinating when to if you actually stop and think how far fragrance has permeated into, into our lives. Yeah. Um write down in fact to um to a little anecdote that um, I learned way back in my aromatherapy. Uh, no it wasn't it uh, way back in in my in my studies when um we we were talking about um when i went on my perfumery course i went there specifically because i wanted to learn how to um, cope with the chemical variances caused by the base products that i wanted to put my fragrances into so how how do you adjust that and you know what what um, molecular bonds are responsible for it but um one of the subjects we were talking about was um you know the rise of fragrance in the home the home cleaning industry for example because one of the people on my course actually had um a cleaning products business he made the concentrates of um uh he was an independent company but he in his country he he made um, the equivalent of like sif that you clean a countertop with and right. and, cleaners. and he was obsessed with the idea of making a mango fragrance <laughs> uh, But mango is a really difficult one to make because um, a lot of the base ingredients in that can, can come together to create a sulfurous compound so um, so he was having fun and games, like in his own world. But that led us to a conversation about the home, uh, the home care industry. Um, and um, it was we were talking about how how much um, the fragrance industry has actually affected other industries around the world. And the particular example that we gave uh, that was given was that um, there there was a um, cleaning product invented that actually neutralised odours. And it was fantastic. It, it, it was like magic. It, it literally encapsulated bad smells and made them disappear. So there was no smell. And the company that invented this product thought they really had like the, this, the sort of the flying carpet of, to end all flying carpets. And that they were going to smash the competition and rule the world. So they bought this product out and it didn't, it didn't sell. People bought it, but they didn't repeat purchase um so they bought in this guy who was um, an advertising guru and this was way back when advertising was still you know a, a fairly new science and um they tried all sorts of things to get this product to sell and and it, nothing was working people would go and buy it because when they became aware of it and they were interested but they just couldn't get the repeat purchases so they started to do these studies and um they decided they'd do like um they'd observe housewives in action to see what was happening when they were doing their standard housework routine and what was the difference when they gave them this product that um, got rid of odours. So you're talking, um, you know, this was way back in, in the forties, um, I think it was. Um, so you're talking, they, they targeted mums with um, uh, sporty children in particular, you know, <laughs> smelly boys and, <laughs> 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 i can say that because i've got two boys um, they're very clean but you know pe kits and stuff like that but le- that are left in bags for too long um, and, and socks under the bed and all that they they do generate their own particular odor <laughs> so um, they 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 watch these women doing um doing the housework and and what they would do this this was you know back in the days when it was women who did the housework so you know i'm not being sexist here i'm talking about a particular moment in time so these housewives would go they'd do the work they'd tidy up their bedrooms straighten the beds put toys away put things where they belonged and um they you know do the polishing and dusting and then as they left the room they would spray air, air freshener and um, when they they gave them they so the next day they would watch them again and they would do it with the um, uh, with the odorless air freshener which would leave the room completely smell free and, and and clean but not clean smelling this was the difference and what they noticed when they when they when they were doing this study was in watching the housewife doing this work when she sprayed the air freshener her micro expression she would do a micro smile to herself like a you know a satisfied job done smile when they when she sprayed the odorless product that smile didn't happen so that told them that the fragrance element was important so they had to take their odorless odor neutralizer and add a fragrance to it in order for it to um, to, to have the effect of bringing a smile to somebody's face. And once they did that, then the product took off. And, and um, I'm actually talking about Febreze, which is you know an internationally known name. There are other n- odour neutralizers now, but that, that's the story of, of Febreze. So they had this fantastic product that didn't smell of anything and didn't leave any residuals scent behind, but it didn't, call, it didn't give people happiness yeah yeah
0: it's such a good example of basically isn't it the why people continue to buy because that's why i say fragrance is so important because people who are making products don't necessarily think of fragrance it comes a little bit further on and they just think oh i'll just put a fragrance in later on but the fragrance is what makes your product powerful um i've run so many consumer tests in my time where you don't get the fragrance right people don't buy it or i've I've been sitting down with consumers that will say i don't want a fragrance in my product and then okay wonderful and you'll give them a fragrance product and then actually they hate it they don't like it and as soon as you add fragrance in there that is what drives passion that is what drives the love for the product and that's what drives repeat purchase that's what makes your brand iconic um it's so so powerful and it's nice to see that people are starting to understand it more. Even from when I first joined, when I joined uh, Procter Gamble in 2005, I remember sitting in meetings trying to convince people that you needed to invest properly in the fragrance to get um, an overall win that, that that they wanted. And then some people said, I'm oh, not so sure, not so sure, um, but, over time, I mean, the people that had worked in Proctor for a long time were, were very well aware of this, and it was it's been very well ingrained in their society. That's why they have internal perfumers; they understand the power of it. But whenever you would work with new people coming into the Proctor, they just wouldn't understand it. So I would often get into debates about, no, we need to invest properly in the fragrance, and the results would always come back the same because I would manage to niggle in at a higher cost leg for fragrance. And without doubt, the one that had the better quality fragrance in always won. Um, and it's it's just so powerful, but I'm have I'm not having those conversations as much now. Um now fast forward to twenty eight, no, not twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen now, goodness me. Um and people are grasping the power of fragrance. I mean, I'm gonna start working with uh Newcastle University and they're gonna start running a, a research program about understanding the psychology of scent and how it drives people to buy and how people can use that in their marketing so it's like there's loads of there's loads of stuff coming out now and people are understanding it more so when you think about it as a whole for thousands of years fragrance was used in a particular way it didn't vary much um, different cultures used it in slightly different ways, and some new things may have come along the line, but not very long. For, for thousands of years, it was pretty much used for the same thing. When you yeah. think of the last hundred years, like wow, like the change that's happened in it—it's completely flipped the industry. Yeah. So yeah. when you think like, what's going to be the next hundred years? It's the same yeah. with technology, isn't it? Like the, the expansions just suddenly went. So think of the next 200 years, like, where is it going to be? And it, there's so many exciting things. There's, like, technology and everything that the fragrance can go into. There's, like, so many exciting things. But we can do that on another video. Because I can imagine we'd be talking for hours if we started to talk about the future of fragrance. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so I hope that's given you an appreciation of... Kind of where the industry started back in the days where the distilling products in the Egyptian times and up until now where there's a huge amount of money invested in this it's a massive business um, and it's only going to get bigger um, so we're on a journey here and I'm sure we'll be um, I'm sure we'll be sharing lots of new things that come out because there's new things coming out every single day when it comes to fragrances um, that we can we can share with you so we'll, we'll take you on that journey with us um, but if there's anything else that you want to us to talk about in particular um, like Karen mentioned about the Febreze thing there if you want to talk about that uh, technology which um, It's called beta-cyclodextrin, I think it is. But if you want us to talk about things like that or any particular products that are out in the market, just let us know um, in the comments or send us a message as well. Um, And we'll happily talk about it for you. As you can tell, we can talk for days on fragrance and um, hopefully you find it interesting. (laughs) So yeah, let us know if, if there's anything specific and we'll see you on the next video.